0: Welcome to the Sex Cafe Podcast. So thank you for joining us today. Today we have a deluxe set of guests who are gonna join us to talk about the LGBTQ Alphabet Soup. So that's today's episode. And I'm gonna have my guests introduce themselves, tell me a little more about themselves, their pronouns, and what is it that they do, and a little more about the beverage they're drinking today.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Kina Harris. I'm the Director of Health Services at the LGBT Center Orlando. Um, My pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm having Colombian coffee with Italian sweet cream and Irish cream because I'm just extra. Um, a little bit about what I do at the center is I'm in charge of the testing department. so we provide free HIV and STI testing. I manage the mental health counselors. and I also do all the other things that you know need to be done. So that's kind of me in a gist.
0: Get the center rolling, right? Yeah. And to my right, I have another very special guest from UCF. Hello my name is
2: Michael Nunes my pronouns are he him and his I am the student life coordinator for LGBTQ plus services I am drinking a french roast coffee um it is amazing uh no creamer just plain regular so with LGBTQ services I get to do a little bit of everything. I get to do a little bit of community work. We provide trainings to the UCF students, staff, and faculty centered around LGBTQ identities, activism. We also do programming for all of the different cultural months talking about the intersectionality of the LGBTQ community and different race, ethnicities, cultures, ability statuses. And we also Get to work with a lovely group of students called Lavender Council, which is the advisory board that works with LGBTQ plus services. I often say I am but one small man. I can only do so much, so it's so important to have a diverse set of students who dedicate their time to working with with us to make sure that we are accounting for all of the needs of the student body.
0: And when you say you are doing work, uh, outreach work, is it limited within UCF or are you also reaching out to the central community at large?
2: That's a great question. So we get to work with not only UCF and all of its different campuses, but also a lot of our community partners. So we get to work a little bit with the center. We love them. We get to work with spaces like the One Orlando Alliance with Zebra Coalition, Hope and Help, a lot of the different amazing LGBTQ
0: organizations all across orlando and we have had some of those guests already and we will have some of those guests in future episodes as well so we're going to be hearing about the amazing work that Mm -hmm. our um, partners at the central florida community are working on so uh i'll continue with you michael you mentioned that you are the lgbtq plus student life coordinator Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit let's let's unjumble that lgbtq like alphabet soup that people sometimes you know jokingly would say like X w y and z yeah. <laughs> so
2: LGbtq plus uh, is this long acronym to give a catch-all term for all of the different sexuality and gender identities that can fall within the LGbtq plus or gay community so moving away from just using gay because gay wasn't encompassing of the different varieties of identities and people that fall within it so talking about what each letter means with it standing for lesbian gay bisexual transgender and then q uh which is a fun little trick question because it stands for two things a lot of people use it for queer and questioning and then plus at the end because when you actually sit down and really look at the acronym it can be so much longer than just that. We've had a lot of people talk about LGBTQIA+, LGBTQIAS, plus even more terms that have been coming out. And as language evolves and people understand more about this ever-growing concept of gender and sexuality, we're still on the forefront of a lot of our understanding of how it all develops, the acronym changes and it grows. So you may hear a lot of people not even use LGBTQ+, but use queer as an all-encompassing term, talking about the queer community. Mm-hmm. But of course, some people are uncomfortable with that term.
0: So when we talk about these, um, um, in, in, in my personal work, for example, with research, we our all-encompassing term is sexual minorities, right? So this is a group of people who have a sexual orientation that is a little different from you know the the normative heterosexual um group so when we talk about sexual orientation kina we can define it normally from like three approaches mm-hmm. so the people who, who are conducting research will tell you it can be about how people behave it can be how how people self-identify and it can be about attraction who people feel attracted and uh, that can be a continuum, right? And that can evolve day by day, and it doesn't necessarily match. Can you tell us a little bit more about, for example, behavior within, especially within your your work at the center? What, how, why is it important to understand that the the sexual behavior from that LGBTQ lens?
1: So when it comes to behavior, we typically are thinking about actions that people take um, with when it comes to like their. Uh, sexual identity, so or sexual orientation so behaviors tend to you think automatically they're sexual behaviors like who they choose to have sex with or the types of sex they ch- choose to engage in um and it's it's really nuanced because like you said there are three dimensions to orientation and someone's behavioral actions when it comes to sex may not match who they're actually attracted to or it may not match the identity they self-prescribe um, to, which I feel like is me in general. Um, like, okay, little t- little information. Um, I personally identify as an A in the LGBTQIA2, sometimes IAS, um, and my A is asexual. So I tend to not do many sexual behaviors because i am not it's not that i'm not sexually attracted but sex is not a motivator for me um so my behavior would be non-sexual however my attraction is still to the opposite sex of my my own and my identity is technically straight because i am choosing to be or i'm attracted to my opposite but my behavior is non-existent, right? So there are like there are nuances, there's levels to behavior, attraction, identity. And it's really important because if we lump everybody into, oh, you just have sex and or you just have sex with X, Y, and Z, back to the alphabet. Um, we we kinda we remove people from the narrative and we remove identities and we dismiss them essentially so
0: and that's so important because that's part of that whole movement of representation matters Mm -hmm. right and if you don't see yourself within a narrative of a majority Mm -hmm. right and 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 that that will automatically exclude you inevitably you will have feelings of not being a part of the conversation The typical example, and thank you for sharing your story, because the typical example would be um, that I read over and over in the news and in the examples that people give is men or women who are permanently incarcerated, they still identify as straight, Mm -hmm. but the only access to sex they would have is another person of the same gender. So even though behaviorally they're having sex with people of their same gender, they do not identify. And that gets, that could get a little tricky for our, uh, our listeners out there, because the research shows that they do not
1: necessarily match
0: and yeah, and also they're not permanent uh, mm-hmm. over time they all they also change so that that's so just,
1: yeah. situational survival um, pleasure versus survival like there's so many aspects to you know these changes transactional transactional definitely
0: yeah so an important thing to tell our readers as well is that this terms LGB- the whole LGBTQ spectrum or sexual minorities indeed, is a normal variant of human behavior. So that's why in season one we're covering all these normal aspects of human sexuality so we can get a perfect segue for season two where we're going to be talking about um, diseases and conditions, right? So um, we can say about 10% of human populations are um, a sexual minority, and that's kind of akin to being left-handed. So it's a normal. Is there a right or wrong way to like write like about 10 percent, about 10 percent of the human populations are left handed. So um, it doesn't mean any disease, although it was typically considered in the Middle Ages, it was considered that it had to be reverted and you have to treat people so that you will see that. That kind of, it, it's kind of a good simile because you will see that with LGBTQ there's this um, harming approach of conversion therapy as well. Mm-hmm. And we kind of want to set the stage for this not being um, a disease or a condition, right? It's mm-hmm. just a normal variation of human behavior. What are some interesting things that we can tell to our either UCF listeners and Central Florida listeners of resources that are out there for them? in the community or on campus?
1: Yeah, definitely. Depending on the type of resources you're looking for, the LGBT plus center, we provide testing resources, which is really important. We have um, groups, so support groups. Um, We have mental health counseling, which is a really big issue, um, access to mental health counseling. Um, Those, we essentially have like a triage program. So we have initially about four free sessions and then they're referred to community providers. Um, we put on events, we have volunteer opportunities for those who want to give back to their community or just the LGBT community and they're an ally and want to be present and um, supportive. So.
0: And that's important to notice, right? You don't have to be within the LGBTQ Correct. spectrum. You can be an ally and still go and support. And those activities are... Really Very fun. fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I have volunteered with the center a yes. couple of times and okay. uh, never
1: had a bad time there. <laughs> you meet a lot of interesting people, um, hear a lot of interesting stories. So it's always a good time.
0: Now, Michael, you mentioned also in your intro some of the resources or some of the activities that you do with students here. Can you give us a little more of what's available on campus? Say, for example, I'm a brand new student who just moved to UCF. <laughs> And I, uh, I'm, I'm queer questioning, let's say that. What, what is out there for me? Of course, UCF offers a plethora of different opportunities
2: to get involved and resources to our LGBTQ plus students. So whether that be you're looking for counseling and you can go to Counseling and Psychological Services, they have specific trans care teams, which will help with the process of starting on hormone replacement therapy, getting those letters of support to start that process, because it can be a very medical process, it's a very complicated process, so they really can walk you through that. You can stop by spaces such as the SJA Lounge, or the Social Justice and Advocacy Lounge, or Pride Commons, which is a space on campus for LGBTQ plus students to relax, meet other LGBTQ plus identified people and their allies and study, relax, hang out. It's air conditioned, you can't ask for more in Florida. Or even just finding ways to get involved if you want to be in student groups such as Pride Student Association, which is a social org and does activism work, Out and Active, which is specifically about LGBTQ plus people getting out, moving their bodies, exercising, because sometimes it can be really intimidating Mm -hmm. as someone who identifies as something other than what is considered the norm to access spaces with higher volumes of like masculine energy, like toxic masculinity, or even just they're scared to go to the gym alone. Maybe they haven't had the chance to. This gives them the space to find other people to go to the gym with. And then we also even have a group called OSTEM, which is out in science, technology, engineering, and math, which is specifically about LGBTQ plus people in STEM fields because there is a lack of that. There isn't that representation that we were talking about earlier, how important it is to see yourself represented in these spaces. And then of course, self promo, but like our office, LGBTQ (laughs) plus services, in akin to the center, we're a resource hub. We do a lot of our own programming, such as our welcome back lavender brunch, which is like a big resource fair, or we do drag divas in the spring talking about different topics in form of drag and how is drag identities different from trans identities or how is drag as a form of activism, but also we can connect them to a lot of our partners in the community. There are so many, and as a student just coming to UCF, you can get lost in the sea of now an LGBTQ plus friendly space. So we serve as that front line of, this is what you're looking for, these are our partners here. Here is that warm handoff of I know our friends in the center, or our friends at Zebra Coalition, or within the One Orlando Alliance, or maybe they just want to get involved with volunteering. Mm-hmm. So we can provide them these spaces, these names, these people that they can then reach out to.
0: And as a student, that's also important not to on- not only to see yourself represented there, but also build those opportunities of linking you know, textbook knowledge with real life context and bring those two together, I think definitely you will grow way more as a human being integrating those two things during college time. One thing I have been noticing is that most email signatures or in this era now that we are all living over Zoom, everybody is identifying their pronouns in, in, in their Zoom meetings, in their Instagram. So why do pronouns matter? why is it so important to identify yourself and then tell people you know what i feel comfortable being addressed as he or l in spanish
1: i think it's really important because one we use pronouns to basically refer to people in like language like i don't have to use your name um but i would use a pronoun every other time i reference you and if i'm miscommunicating your your identity or I'm allowing for misgendering, I'm allowing for people to disrespect the way you identify. Um, I'm personally disrespecting the way you identify and what we need to work on as a society is respecting each other. Um, So I feel like pronouns are really important and it's a shockingly easy way to show respect to other people when they tell you what they or how they would like to be addressed. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I will say in doing our Safe Zone training, so our conversations around the LGBTQ plus community, we really delve into pronoun usage, especially in our LGBTQ 101 training, because it's so important for our trans and non-binary friends, colleagues, peers, students, that they are addressed correctly. And they feel that monogram of respect and that people are taking their identity seriously and utilizing it in things like your zoom bio or your email we talk about those small signifiers of, oh, my professor's emailing me and my professor has pronouns in their bio. Me as a trans student, or me as an LGBTQ plus identifying student, this person is an ally. Like this person cares enough about my community to put it there, to have that conversation. So it's something that maybe as faculty or staff or like people in the community, we set our email signature only every so often it's not a constant change we have to do but you set it and then every time you use it even for just one person to see it it makes that much of a difference
0: and in this platforms is also a one-time thing you set it up and you can have it in your zoom platform or in your instagram platform and it's gonna pop up um over and over again so that definitely thank you for those answers because those bring if i heard correctly respect it brings the the not only respect but i care about you mm-hmm. yourself um from my point of view what i have seen is that um well, i typically compare it to what french people do in french language you would use uh, your full name but your last name is always in all caps so you use all caps just to signify that that is your last name so if you're going to be I don't know, Dr. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so, um, you follow the all caps because that is your family name. And you would say, or, or my classmates would say, well, you know, in French, like, you know all the last names, you know, like Jean-Francois is like a French last name. However, if you have someone from a different culture, or from a different avenue, I find it as respectful as well that you have that last name in, in all caps. And it's like, if you're gonna address me as Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, this is my last name, this is the way you address it. So I think just making that obvious by, doesn't take a lot of effort to put your pronouns in your signature and make it part of your everyday. Probably we should take that advice into consideration for our name plates as well. (laughs) So when we talk about pronouns, these typically do not refer to sexual orientation, right? These refer to your gender identity. Mm -hmm. How are gender identities different from sexual orientation?
1: That's like a really big um, discussion, I feel like, in the LGBT community because, well, it's the LGBT and then plus community. And the first three um, letters of that acronym are based on sexual attraction or sexual identities. And then when we get to the T and we're talking about our trans community or our gender non conforming community or non binary community, that's when gender is involved. And I feel like oftentimes, the community is spoken about in as a whole as sexual identities and we are often leaving out the gender identities that are also just as important need just as much resources um advocacy and um all of that or advocacy and all of that so gender identities just like it says is a difference in the gender expression um compared to what a surgeon assigned you at birth um because let's be honest the surgeon's doing all the work there and you know sexual identities are based off you know like attraction and behaviors and are often put on the pedestal of conversations and legislation and one really big example which we can get into a little later but the um don't say gay bill it's like There's so much language against the transgender community in that bill, but it's titled, like, uh, don't say gay bill. Why can't we just don't say gay and trans bill? Like, we are ignoring all the jargon and harmful rhetoric in that bill towards the transgender community, but we're still going to talk about it as, like, the gay bill. So, like... There's a lot of work that needs to be done within the community as a whole when it comes to that, but um, that's just my two cents.
0: Absolutely. So, M- Michael, can do you want to chip in into why gender identities are, are not to be confused with sexual orientation? So can, for example, for our listeners out there, can a, let's say, a gay man be identified as masculine or feminine, and can a gay man use any pronouns?
2: Yeah. And that really goes into it. It's such a personal decision. Your pronouns are what you use to share your identity with the world. And that's why when we have that conversation, when we share our pronouns, we're sharing a piece of ourselves, Mm -hmm. how we identify. So, of course, like a gay man can use whatever pronouns that they want. And then people may use multiple pronouns. So someone may identify as he, him, and they, them, or he, him and she her and it's one of those pieces that when someone identifies with multiple pronouns you should affirm both of them because so often when people are like oh i use he they people will default to one pronoun when comparatively they're saying no 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 i identify as both please use both Mm -hmm. so it's that important piece to acknowledge and remember
0: also, it's important to mention that as long as you come from a place of respect, if you misgender a person and stand corrected, I, I think that as part of a civil conversation, you can just stand corrected and, and you know, just say, Oh, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm, I'm trying. Like, the other person will know that you're trying and will know that you're coming from a good place. No. So don't be afraid to misgender people, yeah, don't right? Be
1: afraid, but also, just you know to possibly avoid that just feel the need to always ask someone's pronouns before even mentioning a pronoun that you are assuming they identify as and some people are like well how do i go about asking them hi what are your pronouns like there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that i know I i mean like i understand people are like well that's not respectful to ask people like things like that but if we're gonna get to a place where pronouns are just like pronouns are the norm using pronouns asking pronouns are the norm well we're just gonna have to take that leap of faith and flat out ask someone their pronouns just so we avoid the disrespect avoid the misgendering
0: and also probably going back to that difference that we're trying to establish right sexual orientation might be taboo like are are you straight are you gay that might be a little too personal Mm -hmm. but gender identity and that like the way you present in society if it's typically more masculine if it's typically more feminine pronouns that go with those roles i are, are not sexual in in nature right it's just how feminine or masculine regarding your your presentation you are so if we separate sexual orientation and you know sexual behaviors that we talked before mm-hmm. um from from gender identities probably people will understand that asking that question very straightforward is not that difficult right
1: yeah especially if you automatically assume i identify as a female on a day-to-day basis like you're assuming so you're gonna call me that but if you just asked and i confirmed like what's what's the difference you know so
2: exactly or even just introducing yourself at the start of a conversation with your pronouns i always say one of two things are going to happen i'm going to introduce myself and the other person is going to introduce themselves and then introduce their pronouns or they're going to say I've never heard that before mm-hmm. what is that and then you get to have
0: the fun teaching moments yeah. so that would be a great way to approach then if you are if our listeners out there are feeling shy about asking pronouns you can be direct and that's there's nothing sexual about it there's nothing to there shouldn't be anything taboo about it mm-hmm. now today we have talked a lot about sexual minorities and i'm always weary about talking about this deficit framework and like there's still a long way to go. We agree and we're gonna talk about that in a second, but let's use a positive framework here. Like what big achievements have sexual minorities obtained in the, I don't know, in the past 50 years? Or I'm pretty sure the the current times are different from 50 years ago. What are some big achievements that that have been in the news? Yeah, I was gonna say there's always, from the start of the
2: LGBTQ+, like civil rights movement, the to get it removed from the DSM or the Diagnosis Statistical Manual to get it declassified as a mental illness to marriage equality to having the right to have your partner, your same-sex partner, on insurance forms. Like, all of these are monumental.
0: Life-changing,
2: right? Exactly. Life-changing measures. Or even small things like looking at how society has talked more openly about LGBTQ plus populations, how we're sitting here doing a podcast about it today, like we're having these conversations and it's hard to think 20 years ago that this would happen, that these would be positions that we all can hold and have these conversations so frankly and say, like, I work at one of the largest institutions and that institution cares about LGBTQ plus folk and like we want to do better and we want to do right by these communities.
0: It's small, every day changes we're making in the world and from those big changes i'll always stem like little changes that improve representation every day kina do you have like any favorite shows in the media any favorite mm. where you, you where you feel like the lgbtq plus community is represented and it's like oh i'll go to this show because i like it Besides this podcast, obviously, which is going to be your go-to.
1: I feel like sometimes, you know, LGBTQ folk are, like, typecast. So I'm trying to make sure I don't, like, go to a show that typecasts. Um, And there's one show that I can literally tell you the whole plot line, but I can't tell you the name of it right now. It's on Netflix. And it is about an individual who um, identifies as gay, who... Is um, physically challenged. Um, I do you know what? Special Special is my favorite show, I love it. I'm waiting for season three, yeah, season three, because it tackles like not only this individual being LGBT and navigating you know relationships, but also compounding um, like a physical challenge or a physical um. I don't like disability, but uh, inability to navigate systems like others, um, and how those challenges are with not only society and like work li- or work life, but also at home and possibly like, you know, your parents overcompensating for things that they feel are challenges when you don't have the same exact frame of reference. So I love that they don't just talk about his um, life as someone who identifies as gay, but also gay and, and we have a tendency to think of like, oh, just LGBT, like there are no other identities that, that an individual can identify with and it's like, in the LGBT community, I'm also a black individual. Those are very, like, two large minorities or marginalized groups, and they, the intersection of those is very complicated and nuanced, and like, so I feel like this show does just that for an even more marginalized community that doesn't get the same amount of notice, Mm -hmm. so. uh,
0: So, There's so many Easter eggs to unpack from what you said, right? I love it because um, when we talk about identities, regardless of it's sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, body ability, in any of those identities that you're gonna have as a human, those are not monolithic, right? You have so many different shades of gray mm-hmm. into those. You, you know, there's also like neurocognition right now. You have different mindsets and and the way you operate your brain operates, which is fascinating as well. So I love how you bring. I I, I guess that's why the show show that's clicked with I'm like, you, right?
1: Yes, I'm like, yes! <laughs> I love that. Show, that
0: yeah. Thing. So now that we have mentioned that re- how representation matters and how can we, you know, see all these big changes that have happened, same-sex marriage is now a possibility um, that we probably would not imagine, not even 10 years ago. That that uh, ruling is what, as of the release of this show, is six years old? Probably. Yes. I always...
1: 2022?
2: Yeah, and it was 2016. 16, yeah, yeah. A good frame of reference that I use is, um, if you all know Blank Space by Taylor Swift. Oh, Blank Space oh, by oh. Taylor Swift is older than marriage equality.
0: So now let's focus on the the battle is not complete, right? So there's still big challenges that the LGBTQ plus community is facing. What are some of those challenges? I know, I know we will run out of, we will do a... a three-day podcast if we're gonna go through those challenges but just kind of a bird's-eye view of what's the roadmap to those existing challenges
1: yeah some of those challenges well a lot of those challenges are based off like structure and systems right so we can talk about how you know like we have really high STI rates in the LGBT community but also majority of STIs can be treated and or cured so are we having really high rates of STIs or are we also having really hard ways for individuals to navigate spaces in order to get treatment for those things? Mm -hmm. Um, So when an individual comes to, like, an organization or a clinic and everything is in let's say like the binary, like, oh, there's, a, there's no gender neutral anything. You're Mr. or Miss, She or her, um, male or female. And it's like for certain individuals who may be non-binary or um, transgender, gender non-conforming, like spaces like that are not inviting. So will I come and receive those services from you? Probably not. I'll walk in. I'll feel maybe like people are staring at me or assuming things and then I'll leave and then whatever services that I wanted to seek from you I may not get or for also like the sexual minorities if my sexual behaviors are being discussed in a framework that's negative with the provider will, it, will I go back to that provider no i'm you're not going to belittle me and I'm still going to use your service so like It's really important for, you know, there to be structures in place, policies in place, and then not only have the verbiage, but also have the individuals in those spaces provide that service without those negative assumptions or pretenses when people utilize those services. And that's not just in like STIs or like clinical settings, but everywhere, right? But I
0: love that that's your day to day um, at the the center, right? You do clinical services there how have you learned from those challenges to actually implement it at the center yeah. walk, walk me say say i'm an, um, again and say i'm new in the in the community i mm-hmm. walk into the center because i want to do my routine my birthday is coming up i want to mm-hmm. do my yearly checkup and i want to include stis there so yeah. i walk into the center how how has the center learned to reduce those barriers to care
1: yeah so initially so recently we had started using like pronoun buttons for everyone um because we have a large population of individuals who still like to use res- what i call respectability language like hi sir i'm like you don't know if they identify as sir don't say that so like things like that um to remove those barriers to just like In normal interaction. Um, Also the rewording of government documents. So like we have to use government documents during testing. They're very like, yes, they have, oh, um, how do you identify? And there's like transgender um, F to M, which is female to male or male to female or undecided or unspecified. But the orders in which you ask questions can lead to binary language. And so like we've informed everyone who tests and things like that to remove like the rigidness of the form and just make it more personable to have conversations to find out how people would like to be spoken to um, to make sure that we're not gendering people incorrectly and then also when we're referring out we do have a um our transgender services coordinator hi alex they have been doing a really good job of like vetting the organizations that we refer to in the sense that do you have gender inclusive verbiage do you use you know gender neutral terms gender neutral bathrooms do like if i send someone to you will they feel welcomed because if not it looks bad on us so that's kind of how we're navigating at the center
0: i love it i love it and and from those points that you have um, made very clear i see that is first step would be taking care of those structural barriers right mm-hmm. but in order to do so even if if you already took care of those barriers you also need to train people Definitely. to work that so when it comes to training michael do you have anything in place right now for people who may not necessarily identify as LGBT, but identify as allies, and they want to support the cause of, you know, historically discriminated minorities. Yeah, of course. So within UCF,
2: and this is open to students, staff, faculty, and our amazing community members, we offer a program called Safe Zone, which is a four-part series talking about a variety of different topics such as pronouns and the history of the lgbtq community and we have a big umbrella and all the terms falling under it because you know it's an umbrella term and i think that's a really good joke but no one ever laughs at it so it's <laughs> it's my joke for myself um but also we go more into specifics we talk about coming out so we have a whole presentation dedicated to coming out different models how is coming out as lgb different for coming out as trans what are other barriers that trans folk face during their coming out process what about barriers for people of color coming out what does that look like how does it look different how does it look the same we talk a little bit about conversion therapy we have terms or we have a training on gold or gender orientation and language diversity and we really break down like what is sex what is gender what is Romantic orientation. How are all of those different? How are they connected? What does sexuality mean? How does your gender affect your sexuality? People's minds are blown, but it's such important conversations to start and continue having. Because I always say, no matter what, like after one, two-hour training, after four, two-hour trainings, you're not going to be an expert. No one can be an expert. Every day I'm learning more about the community. And it's because... To be more informed is to put in the time and the effort and watch shows like Special on Netflix or go to events put on by local LGBTQ orgs to get involved in the community, to learn more, to immerse yourself because education can only go so far. Lived
0: experiences are real. And again, it's connecting that knowledge with your actual world where you dwell in, right? Being humans and being part of that community. So when it comes to our listeners, what steps can they take to learn more or to become an ally for the LGBTQ community? So I think that's a perfect segue from what you were mentioning about this training. So for people who, say, for example, cannot come to UCF campus or do not wish to commit to those four hours, what other steps can they take to become an
2: ally? It's important to always remember that an ally is a verb to be an ally is to do something. It's to be that activist. It's to, it may be uncomfortable if you're the first person in your office or your team or your family to have those conversations about LGBTQ plus identities or to stand up for this community when friends or family are talking negatively about it. But to start to stand up to it is to be an ally. You don't have to go through all this formal learning. You don't have to get a degree in something to be an ally. You have to be an ally.
1: I love that, yeah i i also love that you started out with like in your own spaces like in your own office and things like that like allyship isn't a performance it's a it's a life it's like a lifestyle so if you truly want to be an ally to community you stand up for them when you're not on display right so you, like you said in your office, if people or there's language being thrown around that is negative or discriminatory or things like that, I mean, hello HR, um, you know? Like make changes in your own spaces and then once you start making those changes and feel comfortable in those spaces, then you can branch out and volunteer and, mm-hmm. um, you know, lobby, I don't know, whatever works for you. Like go to events, show support, um, share some funds like hey we're always looking for funding uh programs or uh capacity building for lgbt um organizations etc so like there's so many options you don't have to like jump in and like change your whole you know like life to i'm gonna be at every you know if that's works for you we love it but if you can start small and like in your own places in your own families in your own um schools in your own offices like you said like that's important
0: so when our listeners want to come and use your services how can they contact you
1: yeah so um you can go to our website which is the center orlando.org um you can see all the sort of services we do have we also have a resource guide on our website um that's the best way to sign up for free mental health counseling and then you can also visit us we have like three locations so we have two downtown orlando um one is like our welcome center slash jack of all trade center which is the main center on at 946 north mills avenue orlando florida 32803 and then if you want testing services we are located at 1200 hillcrest street suite 102 orlando florida 32803 And then if you are in Kissimmee and you're like, Orlando is entirely too far for me, which I understand because I drive that every day. We are located at 17 West Monument Avenue, which is in Kissimmee, Florida, 34741, I believe.
0: And we'll put the links for our listeners as well as the social media handles for the center. Like, follow, and share. Michael, if a UCF student wants to get in touch with student services uh, catering to the LGBTQ community or if they are allies who want to know more, how can they get in touch with your resources as well?
2: Of course. So we have very active Instagram pages, Facebook pages, Twitter pages, all UCF underscore LGBTQ. As well, you can always email us
0: at LGBTQ at UCF dot mm-hmm. oh, I love so the fun. rhyme there. LGBTQ at UCF dot true we love we love institutional support Yes. so but with that
2: we also have a website and from that website we have a bunch of different resources from what's on campus from getting involved with the pride faculty and staff association if like your faculty and staff or the different student orgs we talked about earlier but also we have two guides called the q&t guide which talks about specifically Resources to our queer community on and off campus and resources specifically for our trans community on and off campus. The center is absolutely in both of those. But it's just that quick, oh, I have someone maybe who does go to UCF or doesn't go to UCF and I need to know resources in this area. You can send them that. It's all free. It's a PDF. You can download it directly from our website. To
0: make use of your services, do you need to be in the LGBTQ spectrum?
1: Nope, you just need to be respectful of the LGBT community. I would say an ally. I mean, if you're respectful and an ally, like, you know, that's, I'm gonna just say it, that's mandatory. You have to be at least- You have to be a dissing human being. Exactly. (laughs) Do not come in our buildings disrespecting the community that made
2: this service available for you. I'm gonna say the same. As long as you are coming in with a willingness to learn, we are a public institution. Anyone is welcome at our events, at our trainings, As well, I've gotten calls from parents, from family who are like, hey, either my student is looking at UCF, what resources do you all have? How will I know they're safe there? And it's having those conversations and putting their minds at ease or students who are like, hey, I go to Valencia, but I'm looking at transferring what
0: resources like, will I still have access to X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. So we're gonna put those links to our listeners as well, so they can follow up. They can, and again, we're gonna recommend not only by personal experience but by this amazing conversations that we have had, not only to use the services but also to volunteer at the services, volunteering work. Uh, is a great way to get to know the community and we hope that those resources and those conversations will keep on rolling so we are very thankful to have this deluxe panel today at the sex cafe podcast and um, this episode on lgbtq plus health we are more than happy to take any of your questions or follow up in our social media at the Sex Cafe podcast and please please give some love to our guest speaker's social media as well so we're going to be following those for sure thank you very much for being with us uh, with us today and we look forward to more episodes on a follow up